And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network, as well as the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Now, the HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible shows like the MarTech Podcast hosted by Benjamin Shapiro. The MarTech Podcast is all about maximum value in 30 minutes or less. The MarTech Podcast shares stories from world-class marketers who use technology to generate growth and achieve business and career success all on your lunch break. If you like any of these topics, you're going to love the MarTech Podcast. Some of the topics are zeroing in on the ideal product price point, identifying loyalty plays for smart marketers, finding the line between sales and marketing and SaaS, extending the lifetime value of your customer. If these are topics that are interesting to you, go check out the MarTech Podcast hosted by Ben Shapiro, wherever you get your podcasts. Today, my guest is Dune Rosen. She's the founder, CEO, and host of the Female Startup Club. This is one of the fastest growing startup entrepreneurship podcasts. It's also a part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Now, before the Female Startup Club, she was a digital marketing expert for the majority of her career. She's worked for global brands such as Snapchat, IMG, and The Iconic, which is Australia's largest online retailer. Uh, as an entrepreneur, she's launched her own companies previous to even the podcast and the startup female startup club community, including a direct-to-consumer jewelry brand, Kinks. Uh, and then most recently, of course, she's built out this uh, educational media company, the Female Startup Club, which has grown from just a podcast into podcast community. She's going to be launching a book. There's a couple other things she's working on we're going to talk about in the show. Uh, on the show itself, she's interviewed over 160 of the world's most exciting and successful female entrepreneurs in just the past 12 months. So she's grown this show quickly. So we're going to speak about some of the strategies that she used to launch and grow the show. Now it's become her full-time job. So hopefully, if you take a little bit of inspiration and insight from Dune, it's going to be how to start something like this, and then you can actually turn it into something that can pay the bills. So what do we speak about? We spoke about her origin story. We spoke about imposter syndrome. We spoke about why she chose to build out the female startup club after being in tech, after pivoting from tech to direct to consumer, how she did that gracefully, but then ultimately why she decided to build out a female startup club. We spoke about podcasting 101. We spoke about marketing a podcast, growing a podcast, using SEO for a, for a podcast. Uh, we spoke about finding sponsors for your show from day one. So just a whole bunch of very tactical things. If you want to start a podcast, she's done it quite successfully. And then she just has a ton of marketing experience that she's used and deployed to help her podcast grow. So let's jump right into it. This is Dune Rosen. She's the founder and CEO of the Female Startup Club. 
I always love to introduce myself by kind of going back to childhood because I think it plays a fundamental part of my story. I was raised by a single mom and I'm going to paint a bit of a picture for you. I was raised by a single mom. I'm her only child. We lived in the bush, which I think that's more of an Australian term, but like for everyone else in the world, it's like the middle of nowhere with trees everywhere. The outback, I guess you would say in Australia. I mean, it's not not just an Australian term. Well, <laughs> people think you're born in the forest or something. My husband is like, you can't say bush. Like no one knows what that means. And I'm like, really? Are you sure? Like I definitely know what it means. So who knows? Anyway, that's what I go with. Um, and so we lived in this like tiny pocket of the world on the side of a mountain by a creek, 90 people-ish in the area. Like we're talking pretty small, pretty isolated dirt road, no electricity, no like town water outdoor toilet, all of it. And so we grew up in this really kind of like unique uh, way where we lived off the land. My mom was really poor. She didn't have any money. So it was a, you know, uh, it was circumstantial. It wasn't by necessarily choice. And so we had this very unique upbringing, which really kind of like was difficult, I would say. It was more about survival than thriving. We ate our own veggies, we ate our own chickens, all that kind of good stuff. I was the only person in my grade for a couple of years at school, so the benefit to that is always being top of the class. And basically just, you know, had this weird lifestyle. And a lot of my life, I feel like I was a bit embarrassed about that part of my story and a bit like I had this weird feeling about it because... It seemed like I lived this way when other people didn't live this way. And so as I kind of like, you know, got a bit older, my mom realized that we needed to really move to a small country town so that I could go to a bigger school and kind of get a right, get the proper education that I needed. So I went there and I kind of like didn't really have a lot of, I don't remember having any dreams. I don't really have any aspirations from that time in my life. And then it got until around grade 10 when I was probably about 14 and my paternal grandparents, my dad's grandparents had said to my mom, you know, if Dune would like to go away to a private school, we will give her that opportunity and and she can kind of have that further education and higher education. So this is kind of like one of those pivotal moments in my life where I was like, oh, this is going to be really weird. You know, I'm going to a co-ed school. I'm, you know, I don't know about stuff. I don't have any ambitions to travel. I don't have any ambition. I don't know what the word startup means or anything like that, but I will go and do this. And so what happens is I have this moment in my life where I see what education can do for you and what wealth can do for you, because I was suddenly surrounded by, you know, a lot of people who were really different to me and had a really different upbringing. And this is where I kind of had this weird shame, you know, around like the way that I'd been brought up to the way that these people had been brought up. But it also showed me what was possible. And then I started to like have all these big ambitions. And I remember like when I was at school, I would have these big posters like on my wall where I'd rip out things from magazines and like stick them up on my like vision board, I guess you would say, and be like, oh, one day I want to work for like a magazine and I want to work in fashion and like all these things that I just didn't really have before. And so finished school, started to kind of like hustle, I guess, to you know, find work. I was someone who needed can to support I, can myself. I ask something? Yes. Can I ask something on that one? Of okay. course. You seem, okay, so you had an incredibly interesting upbringing, obviously very different than than myself or probably other people that go into like startup land. Um, but 
you mentioned one point that was uh i thought was interesting it's like you had the the biggest version of imposter syndrome coming from like such a different environment going into this school and then obviously like you know fast forward very successful but everybody gets imposter syndrome but i don't think everybody gets it to the same level that probably you had and i'm making assumptions here but correct me if i'm wrong but i i assume that the imposter syndrome was like it was real like it was difficult completely changing not from being the one person in your class to uh to be to being in like a in a regular private school system um where you're around all these successful people and you know you're opening your eyes with the opportunity so and you may be getting to this in a second but walk me through if you if you're cognizant of how you did it um how you got over that imposter syndrome um so that you didn't just stay in this shell gosh i don't know <laughs> it was a weird time like it was a weird time in life and i feel like I, you know, for the first six months when I went to that school, I really struggled. It was really hard. I'd never been around all girls. I didn't have any siblings. And this is an all girls private school with like so many rules. And like, I was just out of place, I would say. Not in terms of like um, the people surrounding me, because I was welcomed into the school and I made just so many lifelong, incredible friends with so many amazing women. But it was odd. I was definitely, I would say struggling. But I don't know. I guess when you're in those weird positions, like you've just got to like find your feet and kind of keep yeah. on moving forward. So yeah. did that whole thing, went to school, started to feel like I could dream and have ambitions too and started to hustle, but I didn't really have that kind of like, you know, support, I guess, from my mom or anything like that. So I really needed to work to be able to like get places as so many people do <laughs> but I was also really aware of like getting work experience because I was like I'm a nobody I don't know anything about anything I need to like get out there and do stuff and this is where I kind of realized that I had this like hustle built into my body and like built into my genes and I know this comes from my mom and the upbringing that we had but I was just like eager to get any experience that I could to get to where I wanted to go. And so for me to be able to work in fashion, I was like, well, I need to like get experience. So I would just door knock on people's door and be like, can I get some experience? Or like, do you know someone that can help me get experience? Or I'll do whatever it takes basically to, and we can go into some funny examples of things that I did to get jobs or, or to I try and it. get people's yeah. attention. <laughs> but this is where I kind of started to realize, you know, that I had this part of, you know, my soul that had hustle in it. And it wasn't until actually, should we, should I tell you some stories? Do you want to hear some stories? Let's do stories. I love the hustle stories. I love the weird out of the box, figure it out hustle stories. They're always good. Let's do it. So, okay. <laughs> so to get some experience, I really wanted to work in a magazine, as I said, and in Brisbane, where I was at the time, there aren't any magazines there, except for this one that was kind of like, it might not even exist anymore, but it was part of the, like the newspaper style kind of imprint that would go inside. And so I was like, okay, right. I need to like get the attention of someone there. They don't have any positions, but surely they could make a position for someone who really wants one. So I went to my local nursery and I bought a thyme herb plant and I went and got a really cute pot, potted it up, like did all these things, stuck my little business card in it, which had my website on there. And I just wrote a quick note that said, could I have a moment of your time? And then I was like, well, I also want to like check out the space, right? Like I want to know what it looks like in the side of a magazine office. So I go and buy what I thought delivery drivers at the time were wearing. I bought this like huge oversized Viz shirt and like 
put on my little Nikes and like rock into the office and I'm like, hey, I have a delivery for the director. And they were like, oh yeah, like her office is, you know, just down the hallway, whatever. Drop it off. She's not there. Have a little bit of a look around. And then, you know, next day she calls me and she's basically like, look, we don't have any positions. Love the hustle. Let's create something. And long story short, we end up doing like a 12-week internship program together. And, you know, I learned some stuff about magazines and get what I need to get out of it. And it was great. Another time, and this is one that I love a lot. And like, I think these are those kind of moments where like, I know you've interviewed Alex from um, Third Door on your yeah. show. You, you know what's funny? I was just thinking about that. I'm like, this is exact. <laughs> I didn't know if you knew who that was. Yeah, Well, Alex it's Daniel. so funny. Uh, I, I mean, exactly I didn't what he did. know. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know about this yeah. kind of thing. But recently someone recommended me that book and I was like, holy yeah. shit, like, that's how I've like yeah. lived my like early life trying to get opportunities is by like trying to stand out when you don't have other things at your disposal. So there was this job advertised and it was at like a graphic design kind of agency and the email address to apply was something like, yo, check this shit out at laundrycreative.com. And so the point was, is that you send your resume to that email address, whatever. And I was like, okay, well, fine. Everyone's going to be doing that. Everyone's going to be sending their resume there. So like, what could I do that's a little different? At the time, I'd worked for a small magazine doing a lot of like layout, copywriting, just a bit of a broad mix of stuff. So it was kind of like a portfolio. So I took it home, like pulled apart this issue that I'd done, stuck it up on my wall, like huge screen, kind of like a, a huge sign, I guess, like in rows. And I painted, yo, check this shit out, www.dunerochine.com. And then, you know, I put like sparkles all over it. I put sequins, like I did the whole thing. And I text my friend and I was like, hey, do you want to come and deface a building with me at 3 a.m.? And he was like, uh, yes, of course I do. And I was like, okay, great. Meet me like at my house at three and like, we'll go down. And so basically I knew because I used to run like along the river around the office where they had their like space and it was all glass. So like when they would come in in the mornings, they'd just look out into this glass office along the boardwalk. So I kind of knew that if I went down there and just stuck it up in like a huge way, they would all see it when they come in the morning and like turn on the lights or whatever. So we go down there at 3 a.m., we stick it up facing inside the building. I put a little note for security that was just like, this is a job application. Don't take it down. Like, don't call the cops. You know, like, it's all good, <laughs> please. And um, stick it up. And basically the next morning I get a phone call from the CEO and he was just like, this is amazing. I love it. Like, when can you come in? Um, this is really cool. And he like spread a, like posts about it on, there was Facebook at the time, Facebook and probably some other places. But kind of like use those things, which I just thought was totally normal, by the way. I didn't realize that like not everyone was doing this kind of thing, but using these kind of experiences to get what I needed to get the experience and get the kind of job that would get me further forward in life. And then at some point I was doing another internship and this guy was like, oh, I know that there's this company that was starting in Sydney and this is in um, 2012 or maybe late 2011. And e-commerce at the time wasn't really a thing in Australia. Australians didn't know how to shop online. It was, you know, we kind of knew about ASOS, but like we weren't used to it as a market. And so he was like, there, that's this fashion store and like you can buy stuff online and like whatever. And so I packed my bags. I moved to Sydney within like three weeks and I was like, I'm going to work there. This is my chance to work in fashion. Like this is it kind of thing. Go there, get an internship, like hustle 
you know, like crazy before work because I was working like an admin job to pay my bills before work, on my lunch breaks, after work, like all the things to make sure that I was just like so present in anyone's life (laughs) that was part of the company. And it was super small at the time. Now it's called the Iconic. They're like a huge funded, like massive business. They're the most kind of well-known e-commerce store and online kind of like retailer in Australia. And this is like the second big pivotal moment of my life because when I'm there, I get this job. They eventually like a few weeks in, they offer me a full-time job. The guy's like, do you think that you could just read everything on the internet that's to do with social media and like be our social media person? And I was like, uh, yes, I can definitely be that person. I am that person. I think my Facebook, uh, my, um, my business card said like professional Facebooker or something like really cheesy at the time. Anyway, my point being to this whole thing is that it's the second pivotal moment in my life where I start realizing what it means to work in a startup and it starts to like come together for me that I'm like, wow, I am looking around. I don't want to be my boss. I don't want to be like, you know, someone in another team that's a few steps ahead of me. I want to be the guys that are like running this cool business. There are like these amazing founders. They're just these like dudes making decisions and doing cool stuff and just, you know, making their dreams come true. And they're going to make a lot of money from that. And I was like, wow, startup, love it. And this kind of like sets me on the path to you know, wanting to change my future and like having different dreams and having dis- different aspirations. You never, you, you jumped into startup and, and you were never like, uh, you know, put off by the amount of work, by the amount of, by the amount of risk. Like you just jumped in like head first and then you just started your own thing, I guess. So, so after, after, after you like worked, after you worked at jobs, when let's talk about your own startup journey. Uh, so what did you do next? Where where did Female Startup Club come from? Was that the first iteration of of you as an entrepreneur? Were there other things that worked, didn't work? Walk me through that. So many things that didn't so work. So many. <laughs> I asked because I don't even know thing. you, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> I am someone that really believes like you've got to try all the things. You've got to try the things that you don't like to figure out what you do like, especially if you're kind of just like not 100% sure. You just have a feeling of like, I want to do something. I don't know what that is yet, but you need to like, try and iterate so I worked at that company for a number of years got like some amazing experience decided I wanted to move overseas fast forward to me working in this job that I wasn't loving it was corporate it was the first time I'd worked in a corporate job and I meet this guy and I'm like telling him how I'm just not a fan like whatever and he's this really cool young guy like building a tech startup like doing, you know, just making his dreams come true out there hustling. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And he was like, you know, I really need to build a content arm of the agency to fund the tech development. Do you want to do it? Like, I'll give you equity in the business. You can do whatever you want. Like, you seem smart. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. Um, it And I was like, okay, (laughs) cool. Promptly quit my job and started working on that. And totally different story. That guy's now my husband. Love him best guy oh, for ever. real that's oh, yeah. awesome <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, st- still part of that tech journey like on the side over here um that's but awesome. basically start working with him you know working a lot on the tech business and I have this like moment one day I'm on stage talking on a tech panel about like in the UK there's this thing called the SEIS scheme and talking about the tax benefits from moving from Australia to the UK and like da 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 and I'm sitting there being like mm 
tech, this right now is not my strength. I don't know if I'm loving this. I don't know if this is what I should be doing. And so this kind of like sets me on this journey of, okay, well, what could I do? I love e-commerce. I come from an e-commerce background. I'm pretty good at social media. I'm pretty good at storytelling. You know, maybe I should try and sell some physical products. And I just start really small selling jewelry, like from my bedroom floor. Seems to be a theme for me. I start a lot of things from the bedroom floor. This started from the bedroom floor, my podcast. <laughs> um, and basically, you know, start building this direct-to-consumer brand called Kinks, which was so much fun. I, you know, used it to really learn hands-on experience when it comes to e-commerce. And it was one of those kind of things, like from the outside, I would say the brand looked really cool. It took me to China. We moved to Indonesia for six months. Thailand, Paris Fashion Week, you know, it was worn by influencers, it was in Vogue, it was in all the places. But like, for me, I just found that I loved e-commerce, but I'd chosen the wrong product. Like, for me, it felt like I wasn't solving enough of a problem. And I wanted to tackle that, like, you know, that marketing where it's like, you're solving a problem, and you're helping people on their journey. And fashion and accessories is a different journey and a different kettle of fish and the other problem mm. with jewelry is that you're not like stacking marketing on top of the other because you're constantly having to refresh it's all about newness it's all about new collections it's all about trends it's all about this kind of stuff so you're constantly creating new collections and like I just found like it wasn't really right for me but I loved everything about e-commerce so I'm kind of going through this feeling of like you know feeling I'm not sure and I'm starting to like ask my girlfriends like for advice and at the same time I start reading this book and I'm sure you've read it I'm sure it's on your bookshelf behind you it's called Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss mm -hmm. you obviously know it and I love the book it's like what I've been missing in my life when it comes to you know direct no bullshit advice very masculine energy when it comes to business habits like just so tactical I really enjoyed it but as I'm reading, I'm like, yeah, this is great, billionaire, great, billionaire, great. All dudes, all of them. And I'm pretty sure there's like either 10% of the book or like 10 women in the book I went through and counted. And the book is like, as you know, so big. And I was like, I want to hear this same vibe, but from women. I, I want less of the like believe in yourself stuff, which is important. But like, I want more of the tactical, like, here's how you actually get from A to B if you're building a business kind of stuff. So I'm starting to like talk to my girlfriends about what they're doing, how they're building their businesses, whether it's tech, whether it's e-commerce, you know, whatever it is. And at some point, my husband's like to me, maybe you could like start recording these. Maybe you could start putting them out online. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. I'll put, I'll put them on Instagram. So I start doing that. But like, I don't know, watching a 20 minute Instagram video is like pretty hardcore. Don't love it. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, maybe you should turn it into a podcast. And like, I say this now. I am literally the most terrified public speaker. Like, I can't believe I have a podcast. I can't believe was, I go and speak be my next in public. <laughs> I'm like, ask you, I was going to ask you why you chose podcasting <laughs> as the medium of like, like the the core of of your persona and your brand and everything. But it's just <sighs> literally, I couldn't tell you why. I do not know. It doesn't make any sense for me as a person. But I think because when he said it, I was like, oh my god, no, never a podcast. Like, absolutely not. I'm terrified of that. And like being on camera and things like that. But then I realized like how scared I was, like the feeling. I was like, ooh, maybe I should lean into it and like use this as a challenge to get a bit better because I know how important it is to be able to talk and share your message and, and that kind of thing. 
and I know how impactful podcasts can be. You know, I really love listening to shows. Like I just get so much value from people. It's such an intimate experience. So a few months before I'd like gone on this random, like small side note here, I'd gone on this random, like um, buying spree of domains. And I'd bought, like, I realized that everything was available from like sanfranstartupclub.com, brisbanestartupclub.com, lastartupclub.com. So I'd bought like 25 domains in that kind of space. And I was like, meh, maybe one day I'll do something with those. And I just so happened to also buy female startup club. So I was like, well, you know, I'll put it under that as a, as a name. That sounds pretty good. Like, let's, let's do that. And truly the podcast was like, it was, I had no big ambitions for it. It was just to do something to learn more from like brilliant women who were happy to share their strategies and advice with me so that I could figure out what I wanted to do with the jewelry business Mm -hmm. and like started it on the bedroom floor, just kind of like having some fun. And then I think that was like 2019 when I posted my first episode and I was taking it like really casually recording in person but come like May or like April, May, 2020, when the pandemic hits, I was like, hmm, like everything's kind of pivoting. I'm really wanting to shut the jewelry business down. I wonder if I could like turn this into a thing. And so I set myself a casual goal of posting a hundred episodes before the year is up. And it's like May at this point, it's like, you know, well into the year and just seeing what happens. So like, I just start recording like crazy. I I'm just hustling, like talking about the show here, there and everywhere as much as I can. And that's kind of the early beginnings of Female Startup Club. And it's kind of crazy for me when I look back now, because, you know, we have 270 episodes, I think. I spend a lot of time on the calls, just learning from like the most smartest, brilliant women who are building e-commerce brands. Primarily, I talk to women building e-commerce brands. We have a private network. I have a book coming out. All this cool shit going on that I'm like, wow, this is so bizarre how it, you know, I didn't really know what it was going to be. I just went with it and kind of landed here. That's the early story. You're crazy. <laughs> you do. It's an awesome story. You're, you are a great storyteller. And I'm happy that I'm happy that you chose to do this because you're an incredible storyteller. So it fits oh, you even though you didn't. I don't even know if you knew that it, it fit you when you first started. It sounds like you were a little bit apprehensive about it when you started, but like you definitely like good for you for leaning in because like I think the world's benefiting in a big way so thank um, you it's it's interesting though uh that when you lean into stuff like all these incredible opportunities happen like and you obviously never expected like at least when I started my show I never expected like the growth like the audience the random opportunities like you have a book I don't have a book yet but I want to do a book sometime like all this stuff yeah do a book right cool yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. So, okay, so let's talk about like how the show evolved. Let's talk about like podcasting lessons that you've, oh my God, there's actually a lot of ways you can go with it. We can go with this show. We can do like <laughs> podcasting lessons. We can do like D to C lessons from all these incredible entrepreneurs uh, that you speak with. Um, I'm also curious um, about your book. Uh, like why do you call your book uh, your hype girl? Like what, like what's the premise of that? And why, like, why is that important? Uh, the title of a book says so much um everybody has a very very particular reason as to why they chose it so i where do you want to take it well i'll answer that first and then you can choose where we take it i'm happy to do All all and any of the above so i am someone that loves to like support my friends love to be the cheerleader love to just like my community everyone like if i can 
help you or like cheer you on or just give you that little bit of like, you know, oomph that you need to get going. That's someone who I am just in my day-to-day life. And so just through the show and through the conversations that I started having with people, like people would just be like, oh, thank you so much. Like I just really needed that. Like you inspired me or you motivated me to do something. So I just out of the blue started saying like at the beginning of every episode, oh, hey, it's Dune, your host and hype girl, like here to like, you know, hype you up, like whatever. And it just kind of like evolved that that's what I said. And then I literally had the book finished and I couldn't think of a title. And I was like, God, what am I going to call this damn thing? Like I have no clue. And I just had to put something in like a filler text for something. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to put in your hype girl. And I was like, this kind of looks pretty cool. Like it's totally sums up what I'm about. I'm always wanting to impact other people, other women in business. I love impacting my friends if they're starting something, my husband, whoever it is. Like I really want to cheer people on and like lift them up and empower them to like be the best that they can be. And so I just ran with it. I feel like I there wasn't that. a lot of strategy there. I can show you the cover though if you haven't seen it. It's pretty cool. I'm pretty happy no, it about is, it. No, it's super cool. It's super, it's super vibrant and it's super like, it's like, it's just Vibe-y. lively. It's a lively ass cover. Um, what, yeah. Okay, so what do you, what do you actually go into in the book? So the what, book what's is the, very- What's the takeaway? Yeah. The takeaway is it's 51 women from the show, 51 female founders who are sharing their kind of like most impactful learnings, tactics, it's very similar format to Tools of Titans, like so inspired by Tim and everything that he does. It's the kind of book where you can open it at any part, you get a dose of like a founder story, you get some key takeaways and learnings, but it's not so tactical that like you can't, that anyone can't read it. Like this is a book that is for an entrepreneur currently, a future entrepreneur. It's for someone who doesn't even want to be an entrepreneur, but is just interested in the stories behind the brands that they're buying and using and loving. Um. And yeah, it's just kind of like a bit of a Bible, I would say. A Bible I love for, it. for the future. I, I, I was actually such a huge fan of Tools of Titans. So I'm going to definitely, I'm going to actually I check mean, it out. I mean, it's yeah, such like, a good book. Everyone should read good. Tools of Titans. And also um, everyone should read Your Hype Girl. <laughs> I, I was going to say, yeah, you can, you can like, you can hype yourself up a little bit. You can <laughs> promo your own book. Um, Tim Ferriss is doing just fine. He's, he's doing just fine. He's not hurting. Um, okay. Let's talk about, let's talk about, well then let's segue. That's a great segue into like great lessons that you've learned from people. So obviously you pick like really meaningful lessons and, and, and obviously everybody you've spoken to is probably incredible, but you picked these for a reason. So what are some awesome lessons? Actually, oh, I, I hate doing two part questions. So first I'm curious. From your perspective, just because it's I'm living this right now, I'm gonna ask you what was your biggest uh, learning from switching from tech into CP or DTC uh, D2C, and then I'm also curious about some of the lessons that that you've learned from all the great people that you've had and that you put in your book. So I'm just curious about your pivot. What was your biggest learning from from tech to to consumer goods? I would say, like for me, what I really realized about myself is that. There are some things like the podcast where you can feel challenged and throw yourself into. It's like that good fear where you're like, yeah, but I can still make this work. Like I can still Mm -hmm. do this. Whereas tech for me, I just always felt like a bit like out of place and just like head underwater kind of feeling. Like I just didn't feel really comfortable. Whereas like direct to consumer, like coming from that, I just knew that that was a skill set that I had or like maybe I didn't have it fully formed, but I... I just felt more comfortable there and it was something that I was really happy to like lean into whereas tech I just never felt that so I would say like 
still figure out what your strengths are, figure out where you're strong and where you're not. And like, sometimes where you're not, like, you know, I wasn't strong in public speaking. Like I, I wanted to improve that, but I feel like for me with tech, I just, I don't even know if I wanted to improve that. And it sounds kind of like, I don't know, probably a bit lame and you know, whatever, but I, I really no, it's not. It's not had lame. a lot it's, more it's, joy it's from yeah. direct yeah. to consumer. And I, I really like physical products. Like that's something, and you know, that's a big part of why I did the book because I wanted female startup club, which is strictly digital to also come into the physical space. Um, so I would say like, figure out like the things that you enjoy, what lights you up, where you get joy from and like lean into that um, versus like trying to push through something that maybe you're just not loving. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, the new year might have you thinking ahead to what you want out of your career. So when you think about your success story, what do you actually picture? Is it retiring early with a beautiful view of the skyline? Is it leaving a legacy with your name on it? Or maybe it's helping influence and change some of the world's most pressing issues. Whatever it is, writing your success story starts by working smart because when you work smart your success story writes itself a hubspot crm platform helps your marketing campaigns work harder and smarter with intuitive visual workflows and bot builders you can create scalable automated campaigns across email social media web and chat so your customers hear your messages loud and clear are you tired of your content not adapting to mobile making it difficult for your customers to absorb your message a hubspot crm platform optimizes your content for multiple devices so that you can reach your customers wherever they are which is just smart. Learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with a HubSpot CRM at HubSpot.com. Awesome. No, that's good advice. Um, that's really, I really forget good the advice. second part of the question. The second part of the question was um, lessons that you've learned. Oh, from yeah, right. These incredible lessons. women founders, uh, female founders that you that, pick some that you put in the book. Yeah, or so any really, it doesn't matter. <laughs> one of the, one of the like, key themes that I just feel like maybe people forget when they're building a brand is like, and it's so obvious, like it's crazy. You have to have a good product that's actually worth talking about. You need to make sure that when you're developing a brand, you would tell your girlfriend about it in a WhatsApp chat. And if a WhatsApp chat, gosh, that's a tongue twister. Um, because if you're not like building something that people truly care about and that is truly unique, or worth shouting about, you've really lost because you need to have word of mouth inherently built into everything that you do. And so if you're just like building a brand and you're just trying to like acquire every customer instead of trying to like acquire and then sustain that customer over the course of their lifetime, you just can't build a brand. It's just not sustainable. I mean, yes, you could keep pumping money, keep pumping money and eventually maybe it'll work. But if you have a shit product and people won't buy it that second time, you've lost. So that's something that like, it's so obvious, but I feel like people really need to hear it again and again and again because the brands that, su that succeed, they truly have something special. They truly have something remarkable, whether it is, you know, the if it's the, the serum in a beauty product or whether it's like incredibly different packaging from, you know, something else. Like it's it's got to have something that makes people be like, wow, I loved that. I love the experience. I'm going to buy that again. So I would say that's like one of the main things that it's just like such a common theme with everyone that I speak to, but I feel like it's overlooked with a lot of brands. Like sometimes I'll buy a brand, I'll buy something from a brand and the experience is so bad or the product is so bad that I'm like, I'm not ever going to tell anyone about this. Like this, you've lost me. <laughs> How? Yeah. How did but this get on I the shelf? That, 
people overlook it. People overlook it because they're so committed to what they what they think is good, and they've they've sort of over invested in it. And then they, I guess the the question is, how do you how do you figure that out early on? What's the what's the process? What's that that feedback loop that allows you to figure out if it's just something that you think is great, or if it's actually resonating with the the community? Because you can buy customers. You can pay yeah. a lot and you can buy customers and you can be a great marketer and you can optimize for conversions and you can figure out everything along, you know, from when the customer first discovers you all the way through to when they convert. But you you can't buy um, word of mouth, right? So how do you Yeah, you, you can't buy like stickiness. Like you've got to like make sure that yeah. you have something that's sticky. So A, I would say you definitely need to like make sure that you test, make sure whether that's just, you know, starting with your friends around a kitchen table, but you need to get outside of your like direct group of friends. You need to find people, whether that's if you've got a, you know, a pet food product, going to the dog park and like giving out your samples and and chatting with people and seeing what their initial reaction is, whether that's going to the farmer's market and taking your drinks and being like there every weekend and asking people for feedback. But you really need to like make sure that you have something before you go all in because I think like it's easy to be like you know what like I'm gonna spend um 100k and just go for it but like you haven't actually figured out if you haven't spoken to your potential customer or like your your want-to-be customer to figure out if they actually like it or what the improvements should be and like iterate from there and I think another thing that like I learned which is more like personal to me is, so I was kind of building female startup club with the idea of like, I'm going to launch my own e-commerce product. I'm learning from hundreds of women who are super smart, super successful to get their blueprint, to get their advice, to get their learnings. And then I'm going to do my own thing. And so last year I actually spent most of the year in R and D for a non-alc wine company. And, you know, I was following the blueprint that like I'd, Mm -hmm. you know, heard over and over again from all these women. It was amazing. I got so much out of the experience, but in the end, at the end of last year, I actually decided to not pursue it any longer and to stop creating it. And so a few things happen. And this is a learning that I took away from the show is like, just because you're building something doesn't mean you need to actually like bring it into the world. Like if it's not good enough, maybe it's better to cut it. And so for me, a few different things happened. So we developed the brand, we developed a really great product, but one, we couldn't get the numbers to work. It was too expensive for the end consumer and we couldn't get our costs down. And so for us, having this complex project of non-alc wine, you need so many different layers. And obviously wine is just like the whole other thing. It gets harvested once a year, like all these kinds of problems. And so if you're someone who owns a winery and you want to like add in non-alc as a new revenue stream, amazing. Great. You've already got that base wine there. Like you've already got bottling and logistics and supply chain sorted out. Great. If you're someone who has access to millions and millions of dollars to like build a, a business where you have economies of scale and you can get your costs down, amazing. But for me and my like business partners, that wasn't the case. And we were starting small and our first order was, I think it was going to be 6,000 units. And we just couldn't get the numbers to work for the consumer for it to make sense. And I started being like, I wouldn't buy this. And if I wouldn't Mm -hmm. buy this and tell someone about it, like off the shelf, then I've lost. And so we had to have like some hard decisions because yes, we'd spent about 20K in development and trying to get the branding done and all that kind of stuff. But I was like, it's getting to the point where we needed to drop 50K to get our first order of 6,000 units done. And we needed about 50K for marketing spend in that early kind of phase. But that was like 
A, we didn't have any, that was the smallest round we could get. That was essentially like our sample round. And so I was like, you know what? It's better to like lose 20K than lose 120K or potentially have like friends and family like looped in to do a friends and family round. I think the thing that I learned is like, just because you've gone down that journey doesn't mean that you need to keep going down that journey. Like I needed to reach That's a realization like a where decision. I was like, it's, it was a tough decision, but I was like, I don't think this is it. I don't think this product is like, yes, if, you know, circumstances were different and, you know, we had more money or we, we were able to get the cost down, like maybe it would be different, but for the circumstances that we had, that's how we had to kind of like move forward. And so, you know, from the show, I really learned like from other women who have gone through like failed businesses before they launched their successful business, you know, A, you've got to know your numbers inside and out. They've got to be, it's got to work financially. Um, and B, sometimes it's not, sometimes you just shouldn't pursue it. It's, it's funny because everybody, if you listen to like startup advice, it's just like always just ship, just ship it, just ship it. You know, like if you've shipped your product when you're not embarrassed about it, then you shipped it too late. And this yeah. is like almost like the, this is the other side of the, the other side of it, right? It's, well, sometimes you have to, and I think it's even more difficult with uh, a direct to consumer product because it's so expensive to launch. Like it's I mean, so incredibly expensive to launch. And think about Is wine. there a way to like, do this? Think about shipping glass bottles. Like it's yeah. heavy. It's expensive. Um, and also, should that influence the category own... you go into, though? Yes, I think it should. I think you should be really clear on like if you, it depends what your goals are. If you're really passionate about that as a space, um, and I think passion actually does play a big part in it. I think for me, I didn't love it enough to go down the journey. I was mm -hmm. like, you know what? Do I really love it that much? Like, or am I just looking for an idea? And so if you have like this dream product that is like truly changing lives, you know, it's some, I'm just using beauty as an example, because you can obviously find beauty products that change your skin and whatever. You've got some acne product that changes people's lives and you're so passionate about it. Like maybe it, it does make sense to just keep pushing and just get it out there and like do it at all costs. But if it's like, me where I was looking for a business in e-commerce well and it's not like that that was this thing that changes lives and I didn't have that like deep deep passion for it well maybe I should look at something that is easier to ship and like that's definitely something that you should consider mm -hmm. yeah that's smart I, I and I think that Fun, funny enough like if you if you don't have passion for going into it and it's already uh and the category is already a difficult category to get off the ground especially if you don't have investment but there's so many there's so many easier things that you can go into especially as a like you, i would consider you an experienced entrepreneur just because of the fact that you've built stuff you have exposure to incredible people like most people going into something probably don't even have the level of knowledge that you would have right so i think that it's even something to to be aware of like maybe like start start small then expand with easier categories and if you have that revenue yeah. from like those easier categories and you can sort of maybe reinvest it. But if you had like a million dollars coming in from like a, like a shirt store, something like that. And it's like, you know, like a, like a, a, a print to order shirt store, like that's something that you could take that and you could play around with all these different things. But if yeah. not, then it's just very difficult. It is very difficult. And I think like, I don't know if I actually summed this up or not, but like one of the other things I learned through the show and like through all the women that I speak to is that like you do have to really care about the thing that you're bringing into the world and like 
Mm-hmm. People say like you need to have passion and it can't just be about like making money or whatever. And, you know, for me, I was like, I want to build this brand. I'm going to document it publicly through to exit. Like I'm going to be very like transparent about the money piece, especially because like, especially I feel like women just don't talk about money enough. Like I was going to be really like upfront about all the things. But then I was like, like truly, I just don't have that. De- like I'm not, it's not something that I've like made in my kitchen and I'm like super excited about, like it has to be in the world. And so then I was like, yeah, you really do need this like deep love for what you're doing and you need to have that love for like the next 10 years or else you're probably going to be like, (laughs) and you know, you mentioned a point though, like, you know, you can build in public and I think that's, I I always admire founders that build in public and I think it's, it's a really tough thing to do. Um, But like ultimately, if you fail in public, like at the end of the day, nobody really gives a shit anyway. <laughs> like really, yeah. nobody cares. Like if you try something and you fail, like uh, like no one's really gonna remember it. There, no, no one's and really it's better gonna... to try and to fail than yeah. to not fail at all. Because I think, or to not try at all. Because not try at all. Yeah, yeah, it's all part of the journey. And I think as well, like if you don't love your day to day and like you love the journey on the way to whatever you're trying to reach, then you actually really have lost. Because like going to be really hard it's going to be like all over the place it's going to be ups and downs and you kind of need to just like know that there is failure in what you're doing there's failure in everything um and i can guarantee you all the women you spoke to all the all the successful entrepreneurs they probably have like 10 stories just like that before they had that product that actually had oh my god yeah successful 100 percent. yeah a failed business Uh, or like a really solid pivot like you know it's such a journey and everyone says like you know, it takes 10 years to reach overnight success. Like it takes such a long time. Everyone just thinks, oh my God, they've popped like out of the blue. They're like killing it. And then they're like, hey, it took me 10 years to get here. (laughs) It took me 10 years of hustle to get to where I am. So, okay. So then let's talk about, let's talk about the podcast. Cause obviously that was, that was successful. That was something that you, you did build up. Um, so a lot of, probably a lot of lessons there and I'm going to like take notes for myself, but like, <laughs> so like, how did you, so you, you started doing these podcasts sort of ad hoc, um, just for fun, just to speak to all these incredible, um, women entrepreneurs and it started to take off. Uh, how did you refine it? How did you, um, get the best content? What were the biggest, um, you know, gr- items that you did that led to the growth or was it just organic just to set Mm -hmm. expectations for somebody who wants to start a podcast because god knows there's a lot of people that are starting podcasts oh my gosh yeah there's so many yeah um okay so i obviously didn't have any experience in podcasting i was just figuring things out as i went i was trying to ask people for advice all that kind of stuff but i think actually again to bring up tim ferris i think he says something on his show like when he talks about building a podcast is like wait until you get like a certain number of downloads and then go and look for a sponsor. But I was like, no, I'm going to get a sponsor like from day one because like I need accountability and like I need to get paid so I can hire an editor to be able to do what I'm doing because we had decided to do a hundred episodes. And at the beginning, my husband was like, yeah, I'll I'll edit the show. And you know, it was just like, it was painful. It was really painful. (laughs) So I was like, I need to get a sponsor. So the first thing that I would say is like, you don't need to like, wait until you're at a certain point or whatever you can start trying to get a sponsor before you even launch a show you can go out there knock on doors and be like hey here's my vision here's what i'm doing here's the niche audience that i'm going to target here's what's like here's why it's valuable to you and here's why you should be involved and so i did that i landed my dream first sponsor clavio who i love shout out to them um and they were like I think I emailed them like on their contact form on their website. I wrote a list of 10 
sponsors who would be like my dream sponsors, just did a bit of an outreach, told them the vision. And Clavio was on a contact form on their website and I had someone reply to me really quickly about getting on a call and we got on a call and I was just rattling off all the things that I wanted to do with Female Startup Club, what my vision was, where I was going. And she was like, look, it's just like the the perfect audience that we want to target, like let's do something. So I managed to get a sponsor at the beginning and then basically I was like, okay, now I've got accountability. I actually am like obliged to like do these hundred episodes. So I organized, I worked with an editor straight away to be able to streamline my processes, basically figured out my whole workflow and just got started. I didn't really have like a huge marketing plan or anything like that. My thought was like, well, everyone who comes on the show will share it in their own networks, whether it's on LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever. And like, that's my distribution plan. And to this day, that's still the plan. <laughs> like I'd I say we've it. grown really it's... organically. Yeah. The book is actually the first thing that is like our first marketing push officially where it has like, you know, I guess that's our first expense. That's our first marketing budget um, is to produce the book. So that was definitely the, the distribution plan. I would say in hindsight, the things that have really helped me was I started asking people like how they found me. And so I could obviously double down on that and make sure that I was kind of optimizing that. And so when I started doing some customer research interviews, and this is also like whether you have a product or whether you have a podcast or whether you want to have a podcast, you need to go out and speak to potential customers. You need to go out and speak to the people who you want to target or who are like already in your network. So I was like, I put a call out on the show being like, hey, I'd love to like speak to some people who listen to the show, like research interviews um, so I can get some more information. And so either through like DMs, all those like actual interviews, I was asking people how they found us. And nine times out of 10, people were like, oh, I found you on a Google search or I found you on the podcast, like searching, you got recommended to me by like whatever show. And I was like, that's so interesting because like I haven't put any effort into SEO. And what I realized was my name has helped me like a million percent because it's female startup club. People were Googling female startups or female entrepreneurs. And so what was happening is when they were searching on Google, like episode with XYZ founder would just pop up and they'd be like, oh, cool. And then they'd, you know, like the show and start listening. And so my advice to people when they're starting a podcast is like, <laughs> which goes against what you've done, you've called it your name, but you, I'm sure you like had some credibility in the space. If you're someone like me who didn't have any credibility, who was kind of like, you know, a nobody starting a podcast. I didn't um, call it my name. I didn't call mine my name. It's like, it's like, it's like by me, but it's not my name. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. I see what you're saying. No, no. Okay. So it's, it. yeah, but I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's not, I'm not like Tim Ferriss where it's like the Tim Ferriss show. It's like, that's like it, very, it, very it. much his name. Yeah. yeah. No, okay, no, I got okay, you. Okay. I got you. I understand. But okay. So uh, by the way, I'm not the perfect use. I'm not the perfect example because I'm still learning. I didn't, I, I didn't mean, do this and figure it like, I didn't like hit a home run day one. Like, so I mean, don't... neither, obviously neither. Yeah. But yeah, for yeah, me, yeah. I, I always tell people don't go and call it like, you know, Dune's show or like whoever's yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. Like, unless you're Googles someone who. Dune. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. 
Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash That's netsuite.com slash Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. 
Now, I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Exactly. No one Googles well, you. You're going to miss that people opportunity. People love the movie, but that's about it. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I haven't yeah. actually watched it. Spelled differently. Spelled differently. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> but like choose a name that has some of your keywords in it. Like mm. give yourself the chance to be discovered because when you call it, or if you call it something super random, like people just aren't going to find you through that. And yeah, so that was something that I really realized and then I started leaning into like SEO and really like building out even simple things like I was holding off posting my transcripts because I kept thinking like oh I need to make it like super um like perfect to be able to post the transcript mm-hmm. and someone gave me a piece of advice I think it was actually Will Barron from um the salesman podcast he was like just post it like don't even don't even tweak it just post it and so I did a backlog of like 200 episodes and immediately like our growth was just like, wow! You know, within one to on, two months on a website, on a web. Yeah. Where did you post it? Yeah. Okay, on your website. So okay. on my website, like my website's built on Wix, by the way. Super easy, super straightforward. Did it myself. Well, my husband kind of did it with me. Just started a blog, started posting the episodes. Like, would loop in my YouTube video, would loop in the episode, and like literally mm-hmm. just, you know, my VA does it. She just like posts the transcript, doesn't tweak anything, doesn't craft it. And that like contributed to our growth literally within like one to two months, we saw like a huge increase. Wow. And so 
that was something that, again, like you shouldn't be crippled by perfection just because you're like, oh, it needs to be perfect. Like I shouldn't do that. Just do what you can. Like whatever you're able to do, just do that. Done is better than perfect, like 100%. Um, so SEO was really important. My name was really important. What else? Hmm. Can I ask you one other thing about, because you mentioned one Please. point that I thought was interesting. Um, and I did it differently. So I'm curious about your your thoughts on this. So somebody starting a podcast, you got a, you got a sponsor before the podcast started. How did mm, like you manage? Like four episodes in, early Four days. episodes, okay, so early, early on. But how did you manage, because podcasts take a while to grow. So how did you manage the stress of, of having a sponsor before the reach was there? Because now you're taking someone's money and were they, were they yeah. happy? Were they cool? Were they just, they made so much money they didn't give a shit? Because that's also great. But like, yeah. that's stressful. I mean, I was really upfront with where I was. I think like we yeah. had had like four episodes live. We'd had n barely any downloads, like literally like single digits kind of thing. And like literally, I think we had like a few thousand, like nothing kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Still, I mean, I guess that's still something, but like it was really early days and I was really transparent about that. I was selling them on the vision of the future and like what mm -hmm. I wanted to do. And it wasn't about downloads. It was about like them being able to reach um, – female entrepreneurs in the e-commerce space, which was highly relevant for them. And that's what they were wanting to focus on. I would definitely say that like everything in like life and business is a, a mix of like planning strategy, but also luck. Like maybe it was the right time that I just like approached them when they were looking for that or something like yeah. that. I don't know, but that's the approach that I took. Um, and I just think like, why not go out and try at least try, maybe you don't get a sponsor, but like even try to, find whether it's a sponsor or even a distribution partner. So find someone who can help you distribute the podcast because they don't have one. Maybe you could team up and, you know, find a brand that's relevant to you and be like their audio partner. And, you know, you put their ads in the show and they distribute you in their newsletter list or whatever it might be. Like I definitely tried doing that with multiple people as well and got a lot of no's. Definitely asked Sam Parr from The Hustle. <laughs> definitely got a no. <laughs> I think we have to, we have to, by the way, by the way, just, I think we have to shout out just so everybody knows, um, we're all, we're all on the HubSpot podcast network. So this is, this is how we all got hooked up and together and whatnot. So this is like a, an awesome group of people that are, are trying to build their shows. So I'm sure we're all trying to figure it out at the same time. Sam Parr is killing it too. Um, Will Sam from is Salesman it. is also killing it. Yeah. They're all doing yeah, good. So yeah. check it out for sure. Anyways. Yeah. Ahead, and you know, that's another thing is like. I asked a lot of people for things and like got a lot of no's. I originally, like when I first spoke to the HubSpot podcast network, I got a no, but like that didn't stop me. I just kept trying. Like, I feel like a no doesn't mean a no forever. And yeah. you've just got to like, you know, keep trying and keep going and like check back in with people a couple months down the track when you have news to share or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it might be. Um, what else can I tell you? I've kind of lost track of what we were talking about. We were okay. So I'm sorry. I, that was my bad. That was totally my fault. Um, okay. So what are we? What are we talking about? Uh, <laughs> we no, were talking going through all like the the podcast stuff, go. podcast growth, and then I tried to sidetrack you and figure out like how you figured landed Clavio when you were starting out. Um, but then you're just talking about the SEO and uh, you know publishing stuff before it's perfect, kind of like the transcripts, and that grew that grew the show. Yeah. So what else did I do? I really made sure that my systems and processes were down pat so that my workflow was really easy for me to just like go like all systems, like all steam ahead or whatever that saying is, you know, like having your, whatever your flow is, making sure that you like understand like how 
it should be set up so that you can just like move through really quickly. So like I had like a really simple Google doc. I was like working through that Excel spreadsheet. I was outreaching to people at scale, just kind of like getting that set up. Then had my VA set up in a way where she handled all of the kind of posting and scheduling so that really all I needed to do was my own outreach and my own research and then show up for the episode, but everything else was taken care of. And if your audience is like interested, I wrote like a blueprint um, post about it on my LinkedIn, which everyone 100%. can go and find. I list like all the software that I use, all that kind of thing. I would say when you're starting out as well, like, you know, I emailed every um, tool or like every tech platform software, whatever that I was using, I would email them and just explain, you know, like I'm in the education space. Um, we like champion women building e-commerce brands. Like it's just me right now. Is there any like, um, you know, one person discount or whatever that you can give? And like a lot of the times, you know, Buzzsprout and um, Squadcast and websites like that, they're actually, they have things set up to be able to waive fees for certain people in certain like niches. So if you don't ask, you don't know. I got a lot of like yeah. nice like offers in the beginning that I was able to use before I kind of like got that deal with Clavio and I was just trying to set myself up and trying to do it like on a budget. Um, I would also say my other advice to like anyone wanting to start a podcast is like, it doesn't need to be fancy. I started recording in my bedroom. I mean, I'm still in my house, right? Like this isn't some fancy studio. Like I'm just sitting here at my desk with a ring light. Um, but like I started initially recording on my phone. Then I moved to a Rhodes like interview mic kit. I think it costs like $170. Now I use the Shure mic, which is like still, you know, a few hundred dollars, like nothing's fancy. I would say like, just get started and you find your feet as you go and you upgrade in slow increments. You don't need to be like crippled by, oh, I need all this fancy equipment or like I need to have X, Y, and Z. You actually don't need a lot to get started if you're passionate about podcasting. Um, it's all about like auditing yourself, figuring out a posting schedule that works for you and like that you can work in with your own schedule, figuring out like, I didn't do this at the beginning, but in hindsight, kind of like figuring out what the goal is, like, is it to drive clients to your business? Is it for you to network and for you to meet people? Does it need to make money? If it does, how is it going to make money? Um, you know, kind of like giving yourself a bit of a roadmap and a bit of a plan so that you have that North Star you can keep working towards. Smart. Very smart. Um, okay. Let's, uh, I want to, I want to last sort of last part of this. I want to go into some rapid fire stuff, but before, before I pivot, <sighs> any, any last thoughts, anything that you didn't touch on, um, you know, floor is yours, but then also, uh, where do people connect with you? All the socials, website, all that. I feel like I've just talked a whole lot. <laughs> I don't know if I've missed anything. I've got nothing else to add episode. in there. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, awesome. what can I, where can people find me? I mean, well, let's see the book comes out on the 28th of February. Yeah. So whenever your listeners are listening, you can just hop onto my website, femalesartupclub.com, sign up to our newsletter and either keep in the loop or the book will be there if it's after the 28th of February. My handle on all the channels is June Roisin, D-O-O-N-E-R-O-I-S-I-N. And anyone can send me a message, slide into my DMs. I love to chat. I love to help. Tell me what you're up to. Um, always keen to connect uh, to anyone. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, you know, all the usual places. And then Female Startup Club is the same. Female Startup Club in all awesome. the places. Good. All right, let's do a couple of rapid fire. Uh, biggest challenge it. that you've overcome in your own personal or professional life? What was it? How'd you overcome it? Biggest challenge? I would say like, I don't know if I fully overcome it, but I would say like the money piece 
of like my life is still something that I like battle with you know like I didn't have money for a real long time now I'm hustling to like reach certain like financial goals for myself and it's something that is a challenge um that I'm like trying to work through and trying to like become what I want to become but of course it's difficult there's mental stuff there there's a lot of like just the way that you know you develop as a child there's Mm -hmm. there's stuff you know it's sticky (laughs) do you have do you have problems do you have problems um like feeling okay setting like milestones that you know you have to hit is that it like is it a psychological like 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 i I have this feeling of like like it's never going to be different like i'm never going to get like i have this like feeling that i even though i'm such a i'm really good at setting goals like i can set a goal like you know 2020 was get 100 episodes 2021 was get the book out this year it's more focused around money so that i can try and like move into this space where i feel more comfortable like financially with myself and more secure for myself even though like i think i've achieved a lot and i recognize that i still have certain fear that just stems from like life (laughs) my upbringing I would say Mm -hmm. um and I really want to change that you know I really want to um change my future I want to be able to create generational wealth for my children I want to be able to sell a business I want to go down that pathway but like I still have a lot of struggles of feeling like some days I feel really confident and then some days I feel really like it's never gonna happen and like why why wouldn't it happen for me like all these weird feelings and I don't know if it's like just because of me or if it's really common with lots of people or you know whatever it is but I just have like money stuff and that's a challenge that I am like trying to overcome it's it's, like I I think think that scarcity mindset sometimes instead of like an abundance mindset and like like a lot of people definitely it takes a lot of reprogramming it takes a ton of reprogramming to to fix that and it's very important that you do I mean I did not grow up in the bush, but I definitely grew up with a family that was not entrepreneurial and like very like like government workers and whatnot and very, you know, like safe mm-hmm. and low risk and what. So that that also, you know, messes with you when, you know, you put it, you put like when you when you invest in anything that you know you have to do, like entrepreneurship is obviously super risky and all the activities you take on a daily are, are generally high risk activities, like especially when it comes to finances, right? Like if you put $10,000 into ads like that is like a, that's a risk but like you you know you have to get over that and like after after you do it for a while it becomes second nature but like anything it's like a learned it's a learned activity to be able to do that and and understand that you're thinking long-term versus short-term like always have those long-term goals while sort of dealing with those like short-term issues and problems mm. that you're that always pop up in the business but you have to always like keep that that long-term vision and like that's what that's what allows you to reprogram yourself so that you're comfortable because like obviously if you're making all these decisions that are risky and you're like in a very stressed place, you're probably not going to be making great decisions either. So you have to be making risky decisions while not being stressed, which is a difficult thing to do, but that's what makes like somebody successful. They can do that repeatedly. Right. So yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting, I think a lot of people do have that. So I don't think you're, I don't think you're on your own <laughs> by any, by any means. Um, okay. Uh, a person, um, there's obviously been many, but pick one person who's had an incredible impact on your life. Who was it? And what did they teach you? Oh my gosh. You know, it's so like cheesy to say like someone in your family, but my grandma passed away last year. So I've reflected a lot about her. And so she was my dad's mom and 
her and my grandpa were just like those, you know, Australian hardworking people who I didn't know this until later in life, but they bought a um, like a commercial cleaning products company from the newspaper like back in the day they like looked up the trading like classifieds and like yeah. were like that sounds like something we could do let's buy this business and like she taught me a lot of like stability she was someone who taught me a lot about like just hard work like she was also someone who just you know grew up in the outback and raised a family and was just a really top 10 out of 10 person who hustled really hard like her whole life and yeah I guess like she's someone who I really admire as a woman and she was a mom of you know five boys raising (laughs) raising boys in the outback and then building a business with my grandpa and I think she's so amazing um a book or podcast or audible it can't be your own and now it also can't be tools of titans so another book or podcast or audible that you recommend (laughs) well I mean third door by Alex was like amazing um what else do I recommend hmm give me a second here (laughs) trying to think it can be another podcast too it can be another podcast it doesn't have to be about to be honest I'm I'm less about books I'm more about audibles and podcasts now so um, you get you actually you actually I'm not being fair. You gave good recommendations. You gave tools. And I've got door. I've got a, I've got one. I've got one. And you know, again, okay. it's a, it's like another it's it's men. I listen to a lot of like masculine masculine um, shows. It's not, there's just a lot of there's a lot of content out there. This which is why it's good that you're doing what you're doing. I don't think it's I don't. Th- don't think you're like choosing it like there's a lot of guys who put out <laughs> business books and business great podcasts. content yeah yeah i would say a I, few too many I learned, but yeah yeah <laughs> lol that's another that's another conversation um i get so much value from what sam and sean put out with my first million i don't know how i discovered them in the very beginning i think i discovered their facebook page or something like that um but they just their show is like dudes doing like unsexy businesses that are like massive and like business ideas and they are just like all sorts of interesting they always share lots of tips it's super tactical um so I get a lot out of that and then they have their private well Sam has the private community there called trends and it's something that you know they put out these like um newsletters signals features all these kind of thing like again showing kind of like where um new business ideas kind of like can come from and a lot of people in their start businesses based on their research which i find really interesting but where the true gold of it lies is their facebook community because in that group there are so many people like willing to share their strategy like literally like step by step here's how i do x and i just learned so much i've connected with so many cool people in there that have told me like you know what feels like I should be paying thousands of dollars for, you know, this service, yet someone's just telling me over Zoom. And like an example of that is I teamed up with, well, I, I met this guy called Ben in the group and he, um, you know, is kind of like a consultant that helps you with like how to create an Amazon bestseller and like all these kinds of things. And he's just like laid out for me a blueprint that I'm able to be like, check, 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 check. And like, I've just learned so much about this process of like professionally self-publishing a book. And yeah, you just meet these like brilliant people who are so happy to help. I hope you remember. Awesome. If you're not a member, it, it, you're gonna have to sign up. 
I'm actually, I'm actually not a member. No, I know. Well, I know, I know Sam and Sean, and I know, I know they have a great Facebook community. I know all about the hustle, but I'm not a member yet. So now you're gonna, oh my god, it's worth convert it. Convert me. <laughs> Best three hundred bucks um, you'll spend. That's a pretty strong endorsement. Okay, I'll check it. I'll check it. <laughs> that's, no, I, I think I didn't even. Their content's great. I, I can only imagine that it's, it's worth it. Um, okay, if you had to, or if you could, sorry, tell yourself your twenty year old self one thing, what would it be? Hmm. I feel like for a lot of my 20s, I struggled with feeling content. I was always like chasing this thing. And it's only kind of like now that I've started just really, truly appreciating the day to day and being like happy with where I am in the journey and knowing that like, you know, yes, I'm going to get to these goals that I have for myself. Um, But it's okay to just like love the journey and just chill, just chill. It's not like you know, I feel like you're always in a race with yourself to be like going faster, doing everything, doing more, like achieving more, but like really you've just got to enjoy the journey and enjoy the day to day. Good advice. And then last question, what does success mean to you? What does success mean to me? I feel like it probably blends into the last question success for me like used to feel like it was like I needed to reach something or it was like some kind of money goal or it was like you know status or whatever but really right now like success is like impacting other people it's like making a difference it's enjoying the day-to-day and like being kind to yourself and just knowing that like if the day is good like you're you're winning you're successful. And so it's less about this like future thing that could never happen. Like who knows, like not everyone is successful financially. Um, it's about just like making sure that you're, you're enjoying what you're doing every day. And like, you know, if I look at my day today, I was like packing all my advanced copies and writing notes in the books last night. And then this morning I was out shipping them off and then creating some content. And like all of that stuff is just so fun. Like I love my day to day. Female Startup Club just brings me so much joy. And that's where like earlier I was saying like it is important to have passion and like be excited about what you're doing on a daily basis. And like if it is about creating something that's mission driven and impactful, like, you know, just doing that and having fun with it. Um, that's success. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. 
efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. 
This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 